on beautiful broadcast park in the posh studio a well i'm not sure what we're gonna call this but my buddy's here and i'm driving the ship today so maybe it's um the panic attack on the brake wall i don't know i guess that makes sense because i get this feeling <laughs> that it might be um we might be getting a little bit closer to World War III here than what we're... I mean, this isn't Star Trek or some, you know, Independence Day movie or whatever that thing was called from 20 years ago. I mean, I think we legitimately have some concerns here of how our leaders are skating us closer to some kind of big damn conflict. Well, I'll tell you, since I'm driving the since I'm driving the ship here, then uh, we'll, we'll bring in the host of the show the way we used to. What's up, Doc? Hey, from Parts hey. Unknown. Yeah. Down here in the the base, the basin of controversy in America right now. <laughs> Close to East Palestine, but far enough away to hopefully not be dangerous. Uh, and, yeah, I do do uh, a podcast usually uh, on Rumble, The Panic Attack. And you can follow me on Getter, Truth Social, and Twitter at the real underscore Big John. So, Doc, yeah, man, World War Three is either on us or near us. Well, I was uh, on Twitter and bookmarked a uh, a cartoon. Uh, this is at WMWMS two two four. Uh, the handle is Mega Maga Super Hot Chili. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but it is a picture of um, uh, WW and then one, two, like Roman numerals, and then Biden as a cartoon is propping up the third one. Uh, so so like World War Three, and and clearly... I think the the gate to all this is what's going on in Ukraine, right? Right, yeah. And how many wars, how many conflicts, you know, over not just the last hundred and some odd years of modern history, but ancient history, medieval history, has there been in this what they call the bloodlands, Ukraine, this region, now this country, uh, Eastern Europe, all the way through Germany. I mean, gee, many Christmas when you think about the, the lives lost in the history of mankind over squabbles, uh, big and large, or uh, small and large, that's engulfed a globe at times, uh, it seems to always start right there. 
And this yeah. is this is the wheelhouse. World War One, World War Two, all started basically in the same area. Uh, here is Nigel Farage from 2014 when he was a member of the European Union Parliament as uh, uh, the leader of the UKIP party, United Kingdom uh, Independence Party, that ushered in, uh, you know, the Brexit movement. I got to tell you, you know, the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom is really missing out by not putting this guy in charge. This is this is one of the dudes that I look at, and I think this guy has has a sense about himself. You know, he's not just out there a lot of a lot of noise. There's a lot of signal, and so when we talk about what's going on in Ukraine and uh, what that means for the world, uh, consider what Nigel Farage said in 2014. His warning that EU and NATO expansion would lead to war. And remember, this was about that time where Obama was trying to tell this dude in Russia, hey, tell Vladimir, you know, I can be more flexible. Um, and then they, after, after the election. <laughs> right. And then they invaded, uh, Putin invaded Crimea and took it. It has it to this day. And there's a lot of conversations that we can get into after that, but I think it's important for people to understand that Putin's invasion of Ukraine is totally abhorrent, but it was also entirely predictable. You know, what what no one is defending, at least I'm not, and I don't think you are either, no. Vladimir Putin or his actions. But you, you have to... St- you have to stack them up to what both sides are doing. And it, to me, it seems as if there is motivation on both sides here for conflict. And the question is, is how is each side going to unwind this whole thing once they're able to cash in? How is our side going to be able to unwind it? And how is he going to be a Putin and his people able to unwind it and what's the collateral damage what's the end game clearly biden went over there in europe and made a big speech that has no idea what the end game is you listen to putin when he talks you know (laughs) the only end game for him is there's going to be no nato expansion and i'm not giving anything back and if you agree to that then there'll be an end that's and that kind of sucks (laughs) <laughs> right. But yeah. but here's what Nigel Farage said almost 10 years ago. Oops, hold on. Let me... I got the thing uh, muted here. All right, here we go. Let's try it again. Today we are rushing through an association agreement at undue speed with the Ukraine. And as we speak, there are NATO soldiers engaged in military exercises in the Ukraine. Have we taken leave of our senses? Do we actually want to have a war with Putin? Because if we do, we're certainly going about it the right way. So, John, I think you could say, you could take from Farage's point there is we're poking the bear. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. We we put up this puppet government in Ukraine in 2014 under Obama. You know, there was a guy that Putin tried to poison with radioactive soup or some crazy thing. And, uh, you know, it, look, man, here's my thing. The Donbass region of uh, Ukraine and a few other areas have been at war uh, since 2014 or 16, I think 14, with Russia. It's been a shadow, a secret war. Nobody in the world cared uh, this uh neo-Nazi faction of the Ukrainian army was fighting the war and it was all kept kind of under wraps and you know is that little section of land that important to the world or are we just trying to stand up to Putin who's really not that big a deal we're trying to you know say hey look we're we're not going to take your uh, Russian expansion into areas of the world that really don't matter to us that much. Well, I tell you, here's how I look at it: is uh, you know, here, to me, I see this, and it's like, here we go again. Yeah, you know, nine eleven happened, and we had a big call to action in this country. And Dick, in my opinion, Dick Cheney, Paul Wolfowitz, Don Rumsfeld. And a bunch of other snakes in this government had in the back of their portfolios a plan to invade the Middle East for the purpose of confiscating the oil and natural reserves and uh, commandeering the local economies for the benefit of what at what whatever right uh, Western democracies, the United States, their own personal means. People are going to get rich. And so 9-11 wasn't an inside job, but it provided the runway for these people to dust off some plans. And as a result of that, we had the global war on terror. So whatever, right. so whatever uh, intermittent response was needed to secure the United States after 9-11 was achieved fairly quickly, but the, the myth of... The threat, not that the threat wasn't real, but the myth of the size of the threat uh, and weapons of mass destruction and all of this expansion, uh, I got. I now, looking back on it, have a problem with that. And I look at this thing here in Ukraine, and I see the same thing. You know, whatever issues are going on in Ukraine between Putin and Zelensky... Here's what we have to understand. Can we be realist for a minute? Um, Zelensky and his government and other governments in Ukraine, both pro and anti-Russian over the years, is a historically corrupt nation. And Zelensky is, is no different. This man is corrupt. That's why Trump was trying to pick that scab in that phone call because he s- smelled a rat. And frankly, the whole impeachment against him was was less about Russia, but more about Ukraine, to be honest with you, the way I look at it. Uh, but, but then you, Putin is also abhorrent. Guys, nobody wants this guy coming over to your summer picnic. 
hanging out at the house. Um, so I guess to your question is, what what's this all about? And what it is, it's about Russia trying to flex in a region with certain uh, segments of the region that they want for their own benefit to create some kind of sign or zone to tell the West you're not going to bring in NATO any closer. And that's really what this is about. Uh, Beyond what I think underneath it's about, which is self-serving interests on both sides. Everyone's getting right now. I mean, why is it taking Russia forever to, to conquer regions that they should be able to roll through? Look, everybody's getting rich. The defense contractors are getting rich on the Russian side and the American side. I mean, Biden came out and said it. Putin can come into Ukraine, but just don't take a lot. <laughs> I mean, that idiot Biden let the cat out of the bag a year ago on this. What, what, and you put two and two together. Yeah. He's allowed to come into Ukraine. Just don't take a lot. Don't go quick. And we need to push back and they'll push back and it's back and forth. And who's getting rich? I mean, this is, where, this is where I'm going with this, right? So it's to your point, John, I think this is a regional thing. But it's now has global implications, and there are certain people that are talking way above their skis about. I mean, people are talking about nuclear now on this. Oh thing. yeah, this is insane. Uh, back on January twenty sixth, uh, we were sending tanks to the Ukraine, and not just anything. Our newest M one A two Abrams with uh, more advanced electronics and targeting ability than the M1A1. Uh, And this is America's war with Russia. It's no longer a proxy war, in my opinion. And to what you're saying, the the 90s and the early 2000s, it was like the United States was the world policeman. And I don't want to see us get back to that, you know, there's no business for us to be there. You talked about the corruption. We had to send auditors over there to see where our aid was going uh, and make sure no weapons or aid were being diverted. And it's like a hundred billion dollars, John. <laughs> and we don't know how they're spending it. Where's the money? I mean, you a know. lot of it is in, in military hardware. And Biden just promised him billions more. Where's Biden getting that money from? <laughs> Obama stash? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know uh, I read one place there was a Republican congressional delegation go over there and talk uh, about bipartisan support for escalating this war in Ukraine. And then I see Marjorie Taylor Greene and other people saying, no, we're not going to fund this war. Well, they're defi- so, he's definitely trying to get as much money over there as possible that he can get before they got to deal with Republican uh, appropriators and authorizers for the budget. And that kicks in this fall. Actually, it probably kicks in 
uh, mid to late summer when they're going to need authorization to increase the debt limit, the amount of money we're allowed to borrow. And this is why last December was such a big deal. We were trying on the Republican side, some Republicans were trying to tell uh, the leadership, hey, don't strike a deal. Let's, you know, you didn't get your appropriations work done. We're not going to sign on to any kind of deal that goes beyond um, January 3rd and let the new Congress come to a uh, budget resolution agreement to wrap up uh, the current fiscal year through September. And then we'll continue to work on the uh, budget that starts October 1st. Well, we gave away that leverage when we struck that appropriations deal at the end of September, at the end of December. And that's where Biden's getting the money. Okay. Is off of that authorization. Which you take a look at who's in charge. I mean, that's the uniparty right there. Everybody's for Ukraine. And what the hell where's all the to what end? You know, that's the, that's the thing. Nobody wants Putin to cuz here's what's happening. Putin, China, North Korea, Iran, and now they're roping in India, Turkey, and basically the continent of Africa against the Western world. This is a new, you talk about World War III, this is a new Cold War. Oh, yeah. At the least. Let's hope it doesn't get too hot. I mean, is it any accident that Jill Biden is in, uh, I can never say this country's name right, Nambia? Nambia? Nambia. No, it's no accident. That's a strategic. This is, you know, people say, oh, Joe Biden, sleepy Joe. I don't don't think Joe Biden's so sleepy. I think he's a little bit more cued in than what people think. I think he's out to lunch, but I think he's a little bit more cued in. They sent the they sent the wife down there. You know, Joe Biden has only been in the White House 60 percent at best of his presidency. I mean, this guy's it's he's part time when he's there and he's there part time. Uh, yeah, he's uh and uh, goes to Delaware every weekend on a mini vacation. And it ends up lasting several days beyond that. The point is, he, he you know he's putting part-time effort into this, but it's also pretty strategic. And so they sent um, Dr. Jill Biden mm-hmm. uh, down to Nambia. And that's no accident because the Russians and the Chinese – are building a coalition, and the, it's really anchored in Africa, in the African nations. Because they already know they've got... I mean, this is a mess, and it's pretty scary when you think about it. Yeah, it is. The, I mean, in South America, in our sphere, the Monroe Doctrine, uh, there's already a cuckold of you know, left-wing socialists, communists, basically, almost communists wouldn't take them a lot to go over it. and now they're working in Africa and they're and and they're bringing in India this is a democracy but you know they're looking out they don't want involved in this stuff and and we're and we in the western world and Europe is sitting around here going you know we're just going to push people around people with nuclear weapons people with large armies people with economic advantages or or economic situations as strong as ours that could make life rough on us. And we have this huge debt, 30 some odd trillion dollars. And we're just acting like, you know, we're we're big deal. 
Nobody wants to see the United States of America go under here, but God, if they push us to World War III, are we even capable of handling that? Yeah, that's a question. Let alone is it something we want to do? Well, it's definitely not something that we want to do. I don't think uh, uh, anyone in America supports that, supports going to a full-on war. But if we keep sending uh, tanks and now they want planes uh, over there, eventually it's going to be ground troops. Uh, And now I see this thing on the hill. I I got a glimpse of it the other day. Uh, China wants to broker a peace between Russia and Ukraine. And Biden says, in quotes, it's not rational for China to broker with Russia because that would only favor Russia. Who gives a shit? Well, here's what doesn't make any sense. In April of last year, Macron in France had a deal to end this thing. And Boris Johnson, prime minister of UK at the time, flew in Kiev and said, no mas, not going to do it. Then, a few months later, Erdogan in Turkey, through Russia, tried to do another deal to end this thing. And the United States came in and said, you're not signing anything. We're not, you know, this has to be a comprehensive, just, and lasting peace. Whatever in the hell that means. Does that mean that Russia has to give up that Donbass region in the east and Crimea? Because I'm going to tell you, that's not going to happen. And they got nuclear weapons. Okay? I mean, that's just not going to happen. Uh, and so and so now the Chinese are trying to come in here and broker a deal. because And, and, and don't sit here, anyone out there listening to this, saying, well, why are you seemingly supporting what enemies of the United States are trying to broker? Well, first off, France and Turkey are not enemies of the United States. They're allies. Right, and, and and as far as China is concerned, someone's trying to end this damn thing. Right, I'm I'm not saying that their deal's the deal, but we just dismiss it. And, and where's our plan to end it? Well, our plan is a comprehensive, just, and lasting peace. That sounds like a dog whistle to me. That never happens. <laughs> right. What does that mean? Unconditional surrender. Is that what that means? Does it mean uh, yeah. regime? Does it mean regime change in Moscow? Because I'm gonna tell you something. If that's what your goal is, then you're gonna have World War Three, and you may not like the result of it, even if you do win. Because who's the hell's gonna come in and take the reins after Putin? It's the same. You know. You know what I think it is. Let's just say you avoid World War Three, and you pursue this UN policy of comprehensive, just, and lasting peace, and you force mm-hmm. Russia to go belly up, and China backs out, and everyone leaves them out to dry, and Putin is killed or is removed from office. No one's going to shed any tears, but he's removed from office. You know what that seems like to me would be the result? Do you remember what Libya looked like after we killed the evil Gaddafi? Has it ever... <laughs> Right? Has it ever recovered? No, it's never gotten any better, gotten any, uh, you know, safer. Uh, it's it's still a third world country. It's ridiculous. And What's what, Iraq look like? What's Afghanistan look like after we got rid it, of all these bad people? 
you know, the, yeah, you're exactly right. They um, are absolutely just a mess. You know, the, these countries that we're trying to, you know, liberate somehow, change the regime, it, it never works. And it hasn't worked in the last 60 years. That's right. Last time regime change worked, it really wasn't regime change. It was the end of World War II. And we left the emperor in power as our puppet, and we rebuilt Japan uh, and, and kind of rebuilt Germany. Uh, but the only time that this has ever worked was the end of World War II. And we're not capable of pulling off another World War II. Not with this generation of people. Uh, not We're not going to have... You know, the men go off to fight the war and, you know, factories uh, building planes and tanks and bombs left and right and all that stuff like you had back then. Well, but that's that's the mindset, John, is I think we can see it now. There's this the mindset is, is where we want another Cold War and we think that we are capable of saving the world again under that Marshall Plan model. Yeah, and it just—it's not there. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, we're not the same America we were in Biden's younger day, uh, in the fifties, sixties, seventies, and before that. Well, let's look at it this way. Let's ask ourselves this question. Let's just say we were. Is this <laughs> the, the the thing to trigger a global world war? A dispute over land in Ukraine? No. No. I don't believe that it is. Even if the end result is getting Ukraine into NATO and Ukraine into EU and further encroaching more uh, onto, uh, into Russian airspace, or so to speak, uh, getting closer and closer, making them uncomfortable. Um, but... What's your leverage? What's the condition? I mean, what do you have to, and, you know, it's, 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 um, real politique. You know, we may want Putin out of office. We may want to have this big Eastern block, uh, that the Soviets once controlled years ago, now NATO territory. But it, we may want all that to happen, but what is actually on the ground right now and it seems as if there is a lot of corruption on both sides of the thing and there's some people that stand to gain personally from this maybe even the president and his family and you know i don't know and we (laughs) investigations we're gonna figure this out and what is people's real motivations and to what end and i think it's just as corrupt on Putin's side, to be honest with you, because with the military that he has, they should have stormed through Ukraine all to already, and it yeah. should have had the, the thing should have been over. But they're farting around, and we're farting around, and it, to me, it just sounds like this is like a heavyweight boxing match, and and guys are just jabbing, and we're and people unfortunately are dying hundreds of thousands of people 
and and people are being misled and they're being used as pawns and also what's worse than that is we've got people in this country talking about first strike nuclear tactical uh option in this country what the hell are we doing here <laughs> talking about we're first strike nuclear tactical nuclear strike we're first up we're not going to retaliate it's not even going to wait for retaliate we're just going to do it who who the hell is running the show uh, yeah this is insane nowhere in my lifetime have we talked about the threat of i mean we talked about it as kids but it was the cold war threat it was not like okay we're making plans to have a nuclear strike or you know really prepared for one and, uh, at all and go back to 20 years ago with the war on terror it just seems like there are people that are all around this world that are just itching for another war they're itching for war just like they were uh, heading into Sarajevo in 19, what, 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 what was it, 1912, 13, whatever the hell World War One started, but it was in Sarajevo. You know, people were itching for war. And um, itching, it seems like people are itching for war now. And who's going to pay the brunt of that war? The United States. Not only the United States, but who in the United States? And I'm not saying... Certain people that are wealthy or whatever don't sacrifice because they do and have. Who's, who's going to really pay the brunt of this if if we do go into conflict? The the people, the little people like us. It's our. It's always the the Midwestern, the flyover states that send their sons and daughters to fight these wars, and there's no reason for American soldiers to die on foreign soil right now. Uh, unless and there's never any reason, unless it's to directly defend the United States. Yeah, I mean, and and, and has uh, you know, Putin bangs his chest, but in in China is a threat. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if there's a if there's a threat, it's them, right? And it, you know, that's a threat. It's the Chinese, uh, and well, no. Let me be. Let me be more accurate here. It's not the Chinese. It's the Communist Party in China. Right. The, the Chinese people have been hijacked. The whole culture, everything, by this criminal organization uh, called the Communist Party of China. China, the CCP. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a real threat. That's where the real money is. That's where the real power is. And well, here's my my thing. Let's say that. You know, China wasn't ne really negotiating peace or whenever their president goes over there. What's going to happen if we have this war going on in Ukraine with Russia and then China uh, goes on with its invasion of Taiwan? Now the United States is going to fight a two-front war. Are, are we ready for that? Uh, <laughs> economically? I mean, I don't know. I mean... We can't get people to show up to McDonald's. How are we going to get people to show up to the Army and Ammunition Factory to make bombs? Right. Because we just no. spent them all over in Ukraine. Yeah, we're giving them so many of our weapons. What's left to defend us? You know? 
Okay. And sometimes I think we're stockpiling weapons over there just till we put troops over there. But, you know, for half my life, Russia was the, the feared enemy. And in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, and Russia was our friend for 20 or 30 years. We even teamed up with them a little bit against Saddam Hussein in the first Gulf War. Uh, this is not, you know, where we need to go right now. It doesn't feel like this is like um, Iraq in the early 90s or um, Afghanistan after 9-11. There certainly doesn't feel like there's some kind of pressing thing where we have to send our troops over to save the country and save democracy in Ukraine. What it, what it does feel like is, is is that people are dragging us closer and closer to that. And, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. You know, I have this uh, thought in my mind. I wrote down while you were talking. Vladimir Zelensky is 45 years old. And he's able to manipulate this elder statesman, Joe Biden, who we know is not mentally there, but We'll pretend he's an elder statesman. How does a 45-year-old manipulate this old man? Is there some dirt, something big over there in Ukraine against the Biden family that Zelensky is able to push Joe Biden to, hey, look, you're over here behind closed doors. This is the information I can turn over to the United States government about you and your kids shady business deals. Is that what's going on here? Uh, John, I just assume people know that. And may, maybe, maybe that's part of the disconnect in our conversation here is I, I just assume people know that this regime in Ukraine is completely and totally corrupt. And it's not just Zelensky. It's, you know, this is one of the most corrupt countries and nations in the world, Ukraine. Um, and the reason that we're in this situation right now is because of the corruption. The, the reason that this abhorrent uh, figure in Putin is able to come down and pick away at this region is because of the inner corruption of the Ukrainian government. And, and frankly, the only way this whole thing is going to stop is if the people of Ukraine toss uh, this corrupt, what some say is a crackhead, uh, president out uh, of office and take control of their own human agency. And, and that doesn't mean, you know, rolling over to Putin, but it sure as hell doesn't mean a comprehensive, just and lasting peace. <laughs> what it means is I think we're going to have to take what we can get right now. But what that also means is that, yeah, with with Biden and with others, what what's their interest in it? We know that his son was involved over there, uh, representing some big deal people. Uh, and and we're not we're we're talking. You know, the the Clintons are pikers on this little field trip. Mm -hmm. Th this is billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. These are 
big, rich, powerful people in Ukraine that can't stand Vladimir Putin or Russia. And our folks came in and sided with them because they saw an a business opportunity. And now that business opportunity has turned into a regional conflict that very well could turn into World War III. And we've got a bunch of military people uh, wearing, wearing their uh, shields and lettuce talking nuclear tactical strikes. <laughs> it's absolutely the dumbest thing I could ever think of. It's, just, right it's, it's insane. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. It, again, this Ukraine is more corrupt than Russia. Okay? This is not our hill to die on. Ukraine is more corrupt than Russia. Russia is an abhorrent and evil place. This is some kind of thing these guys have. And the only reason why anyone else gives a damn about this is because there's some foreign investment in, in lobbying and crooked and shady deals into this. And and this is, this is like, let it go. There needs to be somebody to come into the sphere here that is beyond the influence of, of the money. And I don't care what you say. Okay, Biden's a president of the United States. I don't like it, but he's a president. But he's, I mean, if you don't think he's not compromised here with the business dealings of his son, then you're not paying attention. And if you don't think Putin isn't compromised with his dealings and what he's trying to put, that's in plain sight what he's trying to set up here with China and North Korea and Iran and Turkey and half of Africa. And if, and if you and if you don't see the the corruption of Ukraine itself and what they're doing to people in their own country and the un, the the unstable nature of their own government then you're not then no one's paying attention you know maybe we're all high on pot living in Denver or Portland you know what I mean? Or looking at balloons in the sky. I, I don't know. It feels like it. It sure feels like it. But I'll tell you, this doesn't feel right. And I don't I don't like how any of it has played out. And until we have somebody in charge, and I'll tell you, they're getting a little taste of it. Have you seen that firecracker uh, in Italy? That chick? The new leader there, man, that woman is someone I would not mess with. She just gave Putin, or not Putin, but uh, Zelensky, the the stink eye. Uh, you, know, mm. you know, Italy ain't involved. Italy, she, I don't even know, I can't even pronounce her name. The, the new girl, lady, that took over. Hardest. I mean, you talk about someone. I mean, she's she could hip toss a lot of the men out of the room. Oh yeah, she's a she's like the female Italian Trump, the prime minister. Yeah, she was like you know we're not. She basically told Zelensky to go screw himself. She yeah she Georgia, Georgia, Maloney. Maloney, and and yeah, she yeah, she gave a, a very uh, pro Italian almost. Uh, a Trumpian speech uh, about Italian nationalism and how they need to get back to being all about it, Italy. And, you know, she's a very powerful lady. 
we we need more like that to come into the room. People that are not attached either through corrupt personal dealings like the Bidens are in Ukraine mm-hmm. or the Republicans with their connections to the deep state and the military industrial complex. Now, there's only one person that comes to mind. And we'll then we'll see what happens in the next year and a half. But he's the only he's the only guy that could bring an end to this, at least from our angle as the United States, because he's he's uncorruptible uh, from the the moneyed interest here. He's a guy's a billionaire. Uh, he has reach beyond political uh, constraints. You know, beyond partisan political constraints, he reaches out across the aisle. Uh, he could bring in a lot of people, but you know he's at 49 percent. He's going to need to get some people on board. So he's got a lot of work. Um, John, go ahead. Uh, bring up what you want to bring up. Second, I need to step away for about ten seconds. Okay, let's update people on what's going on in East Palestine. East Palestine, East Palestine, Ohio. We say it East Palestine. Um, you know, this whole mess, if not for Twitter and YouTube, would have been swept under the rug very quickly. Uh, if it hadn't been for the Internet sleuths and all those. And we got to be thankful for our volunteer firemen in this area that were in there fighting this thing when they didn't know what chemicals they were fighting. They were just there to save their neighbors. And uh, really, basically, what I've learned from this is the railroad companies are dictating to Congress and the administrations what the policies will be that they have to follow. And I don't know why we didn't know what chemicals were on that train sooner. It's very, very simple. Uh Every train has a manifest of what's in the cars. Now, the Obama administration changed what it takes to be called a hazardous train, how many hazardous cars they could carry. And uh, Trump's administration changed the uh, standards for the axles and the brakes. And I don't know how far up the food chain this goes, but I do know the Democrat Congress and the President Biden had a bill and Biden signed it to prevent a railroad strike because the employees of the railroads didn't feel safe. And now we see, oh, there are thousands of train crashes a year we didn't know about. Uh, and all these things. Um, well, and on, on the axle, on the axle and brake part with Trump, I mean, the, my understanding was this is ball bearings cause this problem. So yeah, this is. Uh, uh, used to be, uh, they said the industry standard for inspecting a train car was three minutes. Now, because of staff shortages that the railroad companies are supporting to save money, 
they're spending 90 seconds inspecting train cars. That's half the time. So they're not going to catch these little things like ball bearings that turn into a big thing, you know. Uh, and I saw those videos. That train was on fire for a while, and sensors didn't work, and different things didn't work to alert the engineers, I guess. Well, if the sensors so didn't work, that's late. on the train company. Right. And who holds them accountable? The federal government. Well, you know, <laughs> they talk about the smell in the air in East Palestine and the smell in uh, that area for a day or two after the controlled detonation, which was the right thing to do. If you would have let that car explode, it would have exploded at ground level and fire and shrapnel would have went a mile in every direction uh, because their videos, when they used to let train cars burn off, they would explode on their own and a big chunk of the car itself would sometimes fly three quarters of a mile. You know, you don't want that happening. But our Congressman Johnson at one of these town halls told somebody, just because you can smell something doesn't mean it's a danger to you. You can smell an orange when you unpeel it. And that was like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> But why can't we find out? Well, I, I can't go online and look at the trains that come through my area uh, and see what's on those trains. How hard would that be? And how much easier would it make it for first responders to say, okay, these are the chemicals that were on that train? It, it, and the, the train companies are setting their own regulations. Washington is letting the train lobby and the companies set their standards for uh, safety and uh, how many employees they need uh, and things like that. You know, where's, where are our representatives? Well, I think our representatives are, you know, going out to baseball games on the, <laughs> you know, and our regulators are having dinner. Uh, with some of these folks, and uh, the executives are uh, taking campaign contributions, and everyone's just you know being told everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Now, I'm, and and I say that not to suggest that anyone is doing anything illegal. I'm telling you what the system is. Yeah, and everyone gets kind of a little too cozy, and uh, you know sometimes things get overlooked until something happens. Now, uh. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, in this whole thing, obviously the here's what needs. To, so, like w one side of people are talking about who approved the the uh, controlled explosion or whatever they're calling it, um, as if that's the big deal. Uh, you're you're making a point that actually that was a good thing. I'm saying. Maybe it was a good thing, but to me, it's not so much who who approved it or who knew about it. To me, the thing is, these things happen. Derailments happen. How does vinyl chloride 
in large quantities end up in one single rail train going through multiple communities in small-town America. How does that happen? Um, And who cleans it up if something happens? Because to me, the thing is, isn't so much who approved the control burn, because I think, to your point, when something like this happens, that's probably the best option of a bunch of bad options. Uh, so you can sit here and say, who was the chain of command? Who's doing it? And you can probably see some politicians, you know, backpedal a little bit here. And But to me, the thing is, how do you how do you transport that amount of toxic chemicals and then how do you not have something in place to clean it up that's where i'm at on this whole thing and in that last part is why the hell hasn't fema declared this a disaster area is it all well the, the homes aren't blown down that's bullshit okay i'm just gonna tell you that is bs what that is right there is the insurance companies coming in and saying, because if you understand what happens when FEMA declares something a disaster area that streamlines insurance claims, and the last thing the insurance companies want is a bunch of people with underground wells or homes over wells mm-hmm. in, in areas to file claims that, that their whole entire uh place needs to is going to get cashed in that's what that's about all right that 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 is what people need to understand is going on here the the fema should by all rights have declared this thing a disaster area because and and not because of what the water looks like in cricks where no one's going to drink the damn water anyhow even though seeing that oil isn't good but to allow people the opportunity to get out there and make sure that they can afford to buy water and food and and have other places to live if they don't feel safe. I mean, we set up people after Katrina for two years on government credit cards in hotels in Houston, Texas. So this is about the insurance company, property insurance companies, coming in and saying last thing we need is is property owners saying their wells are done and we got to replace them that's what this is about and john you're down there you tell me if i'm wrong on that but i feel pretty strongly about that one well they're saying if you have a well don't drink the water get it tested uh but you don't know how long it's going to take for this stuff to steep through the soil to the wells. So is the te- okay. So all right. So number one, am I right? Do you think I'm right on that hypothesis? Number two, is the city water any better than the well water? They're saying it is right now. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in a few months or a few years. That's the thing. They don't know what the fuck they're doing, and it's like the COVID. They didn't talk to experts. They talked to government officials, you know, and we've got uh, a kid from the area who's in college and he's taking his own soil samples and 
uh, own water samples because weeks after this, when we're told, hey, it, it's all clear, it's getting better, or you know, this or that stream is very polluted, but we've got these uh, <laughs> these blockades up to uh, stop the water from flowing any further and stuff like that. BS, man. It, <laughs> there's something going on here. And it's not good. But the air is clear, though. My understanding is is that this kind of thing, when it happens, the air is a problem for a few days. Yeah, this uh, the meteorologist in our area showed us where this uh, air was going to go up. It was going to hit another mass of air a few thousand feet above the ground and what directions it was going to blow in but nobody knew how dangerous it was where when the air was blowing uh you know uh nobody knew what chemicals were going to be in there what levels were safe and they were all just taking shots in the dark uh, you know hey if you smell something and see a haze uh shelter in place what what's that telling us <laughs> you know nobody knows what level of chemical in the air is uh safe for you or i because we're all different well but i guess you know what i'm saying is is that the the, the if there's a problem in the ground with the water on wells all right, that's one thing. But the air should be clear. Yeah, from what I'm hearing from a friend of mine that's been home for uh, about a week now, it, it's all clear in the air. He's not experiencing any sickness or anything like that. Uh, some of these stories you're hearing are trickling out, but they were from the first day or two after the controlled explosion. They're not from two weeks later. Do you think people should be in their homes in that vicinity? From what I'm hearing, yeah, it's okay now. It's that first day or two afterwards where things were bad. So how would FEMA help right now? Because I, I'm of the opinion that that thing should have been declared a disaster area. And... All the relief that comes from that federal and state declaration should happen. And that, as I said a minute ago, I think one of the reasons why that didn't happen is because, yeah, homes weren't demolished, but there's some damage here, especially in ground and especially with wells. And the insurance companies don't want all hell breaking loose on them uh, without actual, you know, it's one thing to say, well, my home is screwed up because of this chemical explosion. Meanwhile, it's standing there. It's another thing to say, my home is screwed up because this hurricane came in and here's, you know, here's the rubble. Uh, you know, insurance, and maybe I'm a little unfair to insurance company, but I get a little fired up on this, especially considering uh, the nature of the, of the economy where we're talking about here. This, this is an area of the country that's really hard hit and has been for a while. And there ain't a lot of people talking uh, in defense of these folks, um, and I, they can well, get overlooked real quick. Well, who has gone around to the homes and 
uh, as far as I know, nobody has. They've tested inside some of these homes and said there's no, there are no chemicals inside. Well, what's outside? What's on your door handle? What's on your windowsill? What's on your car? Because some people just bolted. They're told, get out that night uh, or well, a couple of nights later, actually. Uh, they were told leave once the it, they finally got the information on what was on these trains. But then a couple of days later, more information comes out. Now, DeWine said in his press conference they sent in the National Guardsmen with hazmat suits uh, a couple of days after the explosion and tested the air, and it was okay. But what goes up has to come down. So what came down on the outside of your house? Right. It almost makes you believe, John, that uh, FEMA wouldn't have responded to Chernobyl because the buildings were still standing. Right. (laughs) I just, I I don't get it. And the Ohio uh, director of the Ohio Department of Health, the guy that replaced Amy Ackman, he told people in East Palestine to wear a mask. No, not wear a mask, but maybe they should have. He said, you know, drink bottled water because we're still testing some of these uh, municipal water sources. I guess East Palestine has several, and the ones that were further away from the explosion are the ones that they reverted to, but they're testing the water sources nearer the explosion and those are okay the drinking water uh but they still have to test the ones further away but this is from a press conference a week ago i heard this and it's like the information coming out from our leaders is trickling out slowly to the public when it should have been fema in there immediately with all of their resources and getting information out to people quickly. Where was the emergency alert system? You know, every once in a while your TV goes off and this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. They never used that. They never used social media to tell us what's going on here, what's in the air. You know, it was like everything's got to be done quick and get it over with and get back to normal. You know that within a day or two, they had a, a uh, another track laid and were running trains through that area. You yep. don't hear about that. Wait a minute. Say that again. Within a couple days, they had those train cars that were derailed, moved off of one of the tracks. They laid new track and there are already trains running on the new track. There's two sets of railroad tracks there going in either direction. They moved the train cars off to the side, laid new track already, and have trains going through. So You tell me Norfolk that, Southern wasn't in a hurry to get this over and done with? How the hell is that? So I've been to East Palestine. I know exactly where this thing happened. Um how in the so how in the hell could they get track laid when this is a toxic dump? 
well, it's not being treated that way. That's why. You know, as simple as that. It is not being treated as an emergency or a toxic dump. And you know, trains are still running through town. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, you know, DeWine and these guys said that they've got a a ditch dug, a dug, excuse me, where the chemicals spilled onto the ground and they're digging out soil and shipping it to Michigan and Texas. Well, I don't mind um, the Michigan thing. <laughs> well, yeah. But they, they've got a trench that's like, oh, last I heard it was 7 to 10 feet deep and several football fields long. And they're just digging up with the soil they think is toxic. And DeWine asked the guy, so you're going to dig down so far where you think it's safe. And then you're going to test again. And there was a pause before the uh, the guy from the EPA answered him. And the guy from the EPA was like, um, yeah, yeah, we're going to test again once we think we've got it all cleared. You know, it just sounds like they're trying to get this over and covered up they're trying to get um a positive test to be able to say everything's okay i saw some of these test meters on local news media and it looked like you know hillbilly chrome <laughs> we're holding these things up on uh telephone poles and i thought man i you know you know what i'm saying uh, it's like i thought there'd be more Solid, yeah, sophisticated, sophisticated. Well, yeah, it reminds me of uh, when nine eleven happened, and they put, you know, FEMA and EPA put their uh, air test kits out, and the people there were told everything is safe, the air is clear. Not long after the uh, towers collapsed, and then. Five years later, you find all these firemen and people that were working at Ground Zero mm. now have uh, cancer and all kinds of other diseases and respiratory and circulatory illnesses. Is that what's going to happen? Because there were firefighters, volunteer firemen there early on, didn't know what chemicals they were dealing with. And at one point, they had to be pulled out of that area because it was too hazardous. That was the first warning sign that something bad is in these cars. And we're finding out it's more than vinyl chloride. I, I can't remember all of the chemicals, but there were three other cars with hazardous chemicals in them. Well, I guess all we can do right now is just... Um I mean, it, my sense is is that it's been you know the media attention is now going to shift to other things. This problem is still going to persist. It's amazing that they've laid new track and trains are running through you know by derailed train cars that have been sopped in toxic vinyl chloride. But I, I mean, I can't believe that it is what it is. I mean, obviously that's a valuable line for Norfolk Southern. Um, and they have to keep the commerce going. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's definitely profit over protection and safety at this point, or at any point, really. But it, it's fine. that's 
are more frequent, maybe not this bad, but happens more frequently than we've been let to believe. Well, derailments are, they happen all the time around the, it's a big country, a lot of trains, you know, derailments happen, but I don't think derailments like this (laughs) happen all the time. Not like this. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I don't have a problem with Mike DeWine. I don't have a problem with, um, on this issue, uh, uh, you know, my problem is the is the is the uh, the way that the federal government responds to these kinds of things when certain people are in charge. It's like, oh, you know, these things happen. You know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll be on it. You can trust us. But if the shoe was on the other foot with someone else, this would be a national catastrophe. And there's right. clearly politics being played here. And I don't know to what degree the federal government could actually do anything uh, now that this has happened. Um, I think uh, Norfolk Southern has got a lot to explain about, you know, their sensors on the tracks and why they didn't, you know, detect, you know, overheating ball bearings for, you know, significant, you know, period of time. Um, But um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I just hope for the best for the people down there. It's folks that I grew up close to, uh, folks where you live next to. Um, So, you know, time will, you know, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's, I I would have liked to have seen FEMA just come in there and declare the thing a national disaster area uh, and make sure people didn't have to pay for water and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, there was a lot more that could have been done. And I think sometimes you just think, man, if this would have happened in a different place, it would have been a different response. Well, we I tell you what, uh, up here in Cleveland, uh, Ward 15 council lady was like, hey, this thing likely passed through Cleveland and through my ward. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think would have happened, John, if this thing would have capsized uh, in certain wards in the city of Cleveland. Been a totally different response. All right. Pete Buttigieg would have been there that day. Still <laughs> be know. here. He'd still be here. <laughs> you know, right. it, it, it's ridiculous where our government's focus is. But All right. Speaking of Yeah, what do you focus, got? Give me a, give, give me a minute here while I refill. You you pick up the transition. All right. So John Fetterman went to the hospital for depression, among other things. I guess he can't hear. Everybody that talks sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. And uh, his wife put the kids in the car and bolted for Canada. So (laughs) it's uh, very, very uh, sad that this guy's in the shape he's in. Uh, I'm seeing here on, uh, what is it, the independent.co.uk, he may be in the hospital for weeks uh, over severe depression, and his wife is in Canada, I heard the other day. So is he, uh, is she, he, is he brain dead? Yeah, that's not what they're saying, but it could be. Uh, so let's see here. New Senator John Fetterman may remain in hospital for weeks after checking into Walter Reed Medical 
or severe clinical depression, uh, you know, this is uh, an ongoing saga with this guy. We said he wasn't fit to run for office, let alone hold office, because of his uh, stroke and his health condition. And now it's playing out in front of us. Well, yeah, so. I mean, this just goes to how the uh, this is a candidate quality thing with Dr. Oz. I mean, he was a competent man. He had a, a command of the issues and and, uh, and understood how to represent uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You know, that was a that was a pure funding thing. You know, it was a it, it was a funding issue. Uh, just total campaign organization and funding problem that, you know, emanates directly from, in my opinion, you know, Mitch McConnell and others. Uh, just a total and complete embarrassment that a guy like John Fetterman, who couldn't put together a, a freaking sentence, uh, and not just in that debate, but even before then, uh, and everyone knew it, uh, but nobody talked about it. And, uh, that this guy got elected. I mean, he couldn't even say the oath uh, when he got elected. You know, he couldn't even repeat the oath. Yeah, his wife had to go with him on uh, orientation day to help him along and be his ears. Uh, it was like, man, what? And that's not a what knock on Fetterman. The man you? had a massive stroke, and you feel sorry for him, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's he's. Doing his best, he's trying to charge forward, you know, uh, represent what he feels he needs to represent. But somebody somewhere should have been like, hey, this, you know, this ain't good for you. Okay. Uh, but if they would have done that, they would have lost the Senate seat. And and that also appears to be what's going on here. If I, I've heard accounts, and I, I don't know how accurate they are, that he's brain dead. Uh and is non-responsive. I I don't know. I I don't believe that that is the case. I think he probably is um, depressed, but still in control of his faculties. Nonetheless, he's not showing up to work. Um, but there is this um, uh, apparently in Pennsylvania this law that says um, you know, after August the eighteenth, if the seat becomes vacant, it is a gubernatorial appointment if it becomes vacant before August 18th of this year it goes to a special election which Republicans would likely win at this point that's a thought uh, there's a thing here on Politico that uh, days after Senator John Fetterman's office announced he had checked himself into the hospital for depression both his staff and the governor's office in Pennsylvania said they fully expect him to return to work. Uh, aides to Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro said they're not taking any steps to prepare for the possibility that Fetterman will may eventually announce a resignation. So they're saying they're not taking steps, which means they're probably taking <laughs> steps. <laughs> For him to resign and and, uh, and, and who's buying the seat someone. who's buying the seat that's my question now because this is all politics now 
It's just like what happened with Blagojevich when uh, Obama was president and they tried selling that Senate seat. Um, mm-hmm. wh- who, who's, who's trying to buy this thing? Is it the old lady or is it somebody else? Well, last we heard, she was in Canada. And I, uh, they said, she said, make sure, be, what the hell did she say? Always have your uh, passports ready. Right. <laughs> what? Keep, <laughs> keep your pimp hand strong. I don't know. I tell you, if the people of Pennsylvania were smart, they'd, uh, well, the Democrats of Pennsylvania were smart. Uh, if this guy does go vegetable on everybody um, and he has to quit and we, you know, we hope that he's fine. But if he has to step aside, uh, they'd put Fast Eddie Rendell in because he, he wouldn't lose a special election. They could put him in now and they could run him 10 times between now and 2024 and Fast Eddie would win. Mm. Uh, former mayor of Philadelphia, former governor. Um, and he would vote the right way on everything. It's a, a bad situation. And well, it's we it's, it's a bad situation, and frankly, John, it's why I don't even watch politics anymore. I mean, uh, after twenty twenty, I was a bit disappointed, and I knew what was going on there in that election and why it broke the way that it did. But to me, it, it's like the ultimate, you know, fu was Fetterman winning, and it's like I can't watch that guy. Um, that's not a United States senator. That that's not a that's an embarrassment, and that's you know, I I just quit watching government at that point. It's bad when, yeah, this guy that can't talk, can't communicate, stays at home, won't debate because he'd get exposed. Uh, all these things. You sit there and go, why is this going on? You know, they're obviously just waiting to, you know, hey, win the election, get it over, and then we'll appoint somebody after the deadline, you know, something like that. Get them elected, get them, you know, a lot, fake it till you make it to get them in, and then fake it even more till we got to replace them. I mean, we Mm -hmm. we saw it coming a mile away. And it's why the Democrats had to win that uh, governor's race in Pennsylvania. Uh, so in case this did happen, they had a backup that the governor could appoint um, the replacement. All right, man. Is that it? What do we got? I think so. I think we've covered World War Three, East Palestine, Fetterman. Is there anything else going on out there? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's enough. All right, <laughs> All right man. All right, you send us out, John. All right, man. Hey, God bless everybody. Pray for one another. Love somebody today and be the reason someone feels loved. Doc, thanks for doing this podcast. We'll see you next time. Got it. God bless.